that may or may not be the right thing to do. We're just simply committing that to the Lord. But next Sunday, we will not have in-person worship services. It will be on live stream. Otherwise, stay tuned for after that as we anticipate being back together. Also, choir rehearsal is canceled until further notice. By the way, having mentioned music, we certainly want to welcome Gloria Gully, who is filling in for us today. Um, she has such a wonderful spirit and appreciate working with her. We miss Gordon and Carol, who are having to quarantine at the moment. But Gloria, thank you so much for helping us again and for ministering to us. So choir rehearsal is canceled until further notice. We do have scheduled uh, a men's pancakes and prayer for January the 15th at 8 a.m. Again, just stay tuned to make sure that doesn't change. We are praying also for uh, Lars and Joan. Offering envelopes are available for you in the fellowship hall up against the cabinets. So as you go in there to the left, you should find those uh, offering envelopes. Reminder to you that Dave Tanner will be taking pictures after this service and before the 11 o'clock service, but uh, not after the 11 o'clock service. So uh, if you want to get your picture taken, we would love to have it for our directory. Please make sure you see Dave on the way out. Oh, one other scheduling thing. Uh, having hanged the greens, we're going to dehang them. Uh, that will be on Tuesday at 9 a.m. So if you can help out with that, we would appreciate it and be most grateful. Uh, just uh, a word about COVID in general. This particular variant uh, presents itself as a common cold. Uh, just people with cold symptoms, it seems, are the ones who are testing positive. So if you have something like a headache and or sneezing or cough but feel healthy otherwise, uh, please watch our services at home. We love you very much, but we want to be very protective of our uh, of our people, and so just want to encourage you to do that. Now, again, I'm a preacher. I'm not a medical expert, so you can take all of this the way you want to take it. Uh, nobody's dictating this to us. We're doing uh, all of this uh, in perfect freedom to be able to make decisions, and we're thankful to be able to. Is there anything else I'm missing? Feel free to speak up if, there, if I'm overlooking something. John's having to quarantine at home, and so... Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of like the inmates are running the asylum today. So. John, we miss you. We're praying for you and look forward to you being back. I talked with him this morning. He's feeling fine, chomping at the bits, raring to go. So we are thankful for that. Well, let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts and minds for worship as we have the privilege today of coming before our great and glorious God. Good morning. Please join me in a responsive reading of our call to worship. This can be found in the inside cover of your bulletin, taken from Revelation 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing. Amen. Now, a little bit later, our songs are going to change, and you'll be using your hymnals, but 
In the meantime, for this opening hymn, O Worship the King, the words will be on the screen if you would like to use them as we stand together and worship our living God. Let's do it. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we worship you and we render to you all praise, honor, and glory for you are worthy of our praise. And as we gather in your presence on this day, we acknowledge you to be the one who has created us and the one who has redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus to offer you our worship because we in and of ourselves are not worthy, O God, but in our Lord Christ, we count ourselves as those justified. And Lord, we pray that you will place within our hearts a longing to know you better. So please accomplish your purpose here. Be glorified in the midst of your people. Sanctify us and build us up in the faith. Or otherwise convince us of our sins and draw us to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. To you belong all power and glory, O Lord. And we offer all to you in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This is the reading of the Word of God, First Chronicles 16, 8 through 36. 
O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. Thank you, Rachel, very much. We will not be passing the offering plates this morning. They will be available, at least I see over here at that entranceway. So I uh, would urge you to please uh, leave your offering there as uh, you exit today. But we'll take just a moment to give thanks to the Lord for his provision and meditate upon his goodness. Let's pray. Gracious Father and our God, we do thank you that you are our provider. And we ask that you will continue to bless and provide. That the work of this congregation will impact this community and the world far beyond these walls. Lord, grant that in this new year we may find a special joy in giving to you as we recognize that you are the one ultimately who has given to us. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And now, if you can access one, look for a hymnal somewhere near you. We're going to turn to hymn number 185. This is a familiar hymn to all of us, I believe, when I survey the wondrous cross. 185. Let's stand together and sing.
fall. Amen. You may be seated. And again, Gloria, thank you so much. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I invite you to take advantage of the prayer sheets that you find there in your worship folder. And uh, just know that we have a number of other people besides who are not uh, listed here, again, because of COVID and other circumstances. So please take a few moments and uh, offer a few of these perhaps up to the Lord in silent prayer, and then we'll continue after as I lead us. Let's all pray together. Our Father in heaven, how blessed and most glorious you are as we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. We see your love so perfectly demonstrated in his life and death and resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing intercession for us, and his soon return. Or so we pray, it will be soon. Please forgive our sins. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that we've rebelled against you. We've done the things we ought not to do, and we failed to do the things we ought to do. Forgive us, we pray. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And grant to us the assurance which comes from faith in Christ alone. Oh, Father, work in our hearts that we may truly be grateful. For surely we thank you for your provision for us. Even as this year just closed has brought with it its own share of difficulties and hardships. We nevertheless are thankful to know that you remain sovereign, that Jesus still saves, that your word hasn't changed, and that there is still good news for the world. We pray for deliverance from COVID-19. Lord, we pray that you'll rid us of this pandemic. But, oh, Father, grant that we would not be like Pharaoh of old, who feared the plagues but disregarded you. Grant, O oh Lord, that in this time of hardship we may look to you and find you faithful, that our hearts would be softened toward you and not hardened, that you might accomplish the work that you desire in us and through us. We pray that you will bless and provide, that your church may thrive and prosper. We pray for our nation and for those who are in authority over us at every level. For those who are lost, who are governing in darkness, we pray for salvation that the light of the gospel may dawn upon their hearts, that they may surrender themselves to the kingship of Christ and lead as those who are led by the good shepherd. We pray for those who serve us in our military, those who are serving in law enforcement and in every other sector from first responders to teachers to the medical community, often serving in thankless positions where they receive far more in the way of vitriol than they should. Lord, out of gratitude for so many who are serving selflessly, we pray that you will bless and provide for each of them. Thinking of those who are serving far away from home because of their commitment to country, family, and community. We ask for safety and protection. We pray that freedom may come to those places in the world where the gospel is forbidden, where mighty rulers have usurped authority not granted to you, to them by you. We pray, O oh God, that their hearts may be changed or otherwise that you would remove them, that the gospel could be proclaimed openly in those lands. O oh Father, we pray for those who are struggling with illness today among our own church family. Please grant healing and deliverance and protection for each of them. And for family members that we are concerned about, we pray for your help and care. And we pray that Bay Presbyterian Church in this new year may experience a great work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Father, that we may find a door open to us as we never have before in serving together in a desire to glorify the Lord Jesus. Father, 
you would fill this building up to overflow with those who would be called by you, saved by you, equipped by you. And beyond coming here to worship, we pray that we might faithfully go and proclaim the gospel to the world. Bless us, we pray. Lord, surely we're unworthy. As we pray for this congregation, we pray for the church throughout this community, our country, and the world. Lord, may it not be a year where church buildings like this one close their doors, where congregations dwindle away. We pray it will be a year of revival, a year of a great awakening. We plead with you for that, again, not because we deserve it. Oh, Lord, surely as a nation especially, we have disregarded your word and you. Forgive us, we pray. Grant mercy, we ask. And accomplish a work so that no one individual or group could claim any sort of responsibility, but that all the glory would be yours. Bless now, we pray, to our hearts your word. Forgive the one who preaches, his sins are many. But Lord, we pray that you would so open our eyes that we would see no man except Jesus and him only. For we pray in his matchless name. Amen. And so I invite you to give your attention to God's word today, found in John chapter 1. In these uncertain times, in these times of trying to figure out how to do things in a way that we've never had to figure it out before. John and I have talked before. We just, somehow we missed the class in seminary where they talked about global pandemics and how we're trying to figure this out and we're praying to the Lord and asking him for wisdom and knowing that we're prone to make wrong decisions. We pray that in spite of ourselves, he might lead us to make right ones. But even though it is a time of uncertainty, here we are gathered for worship today to look to God's word. God's word is unchanged. There is still good news. And I encourage you in this new year, take some time to turn off the TV. Unboot from your computer screens and open the book. Well, maybe you have your Bible on your computer. You know what I mean. Turn off some things and turn on the one that matters. Old gospel song, turn your radio on and listen to the music in the air. The Lord still speaks. And so we turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 14 and read, uh, I believe, through verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. There is no one like Jesus. Let's just be emphatically clear about that. I don't have a uh, witty little illustration to begin with to hook you into this sermon. So I'm just going to say right off the bat, there is nobody like Jesus. We constantly are bombarded by people who are advocating all kinds of things, from politicians to pundits, who are telling us that they are able to solve our problems. And they're, they're advocating for legislation, they're advocating for ideas that they say will make us better. But hey, let's be honest about it. After centuries of people doing it, average people generally find themselves in the same circumstances they were in after those people have passed from the scene, while they are a lot more wealthy after having advocated for those things than the people that they lead. How is that? That's a whole other sermon, and I don't propose to answer the question for you today. <clears throat> Just do the math. They get paid a certain amount while in office, and they come out being worth a lot more than what they went in. Just do the math. The point is, 
They're not doing it for us. It's for their own power and prestige. In promising to enrich us, they end up enriching themselves. But compare them to Jesus. Jesus who became poor for our sakes. Jesus who laid aside all of the insignia and all of the privileges of his heavenly position, being fully God, dwelling in the midst of the glory of God with all of the angelic hosts there to serve him, he laid all of that aside to become a servant and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. There is no one like Jesus. The Bible tells us here emphatically, as John began in verse 1, which we didn't read, but it's there, and so we can refer to it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a declaration of the deity of Christ. Word is a, is a phrase, is a, is a term, which conveys the idea of God communicating to us. I'm speaking to you right now, trying to use words, even with a mountain dialect. They, they still are counted as words, technically. <clears throat> and that's the way that I'm communicating with you. Well, Jesus is God's perfect communication of himself to us because Christ is God. What better way to communicate with us than to, for God to come himself and to show us what God is like? So the word was in the beginning. There was never a time when the word didn't exist. He's always been there. By the way, don't, as I've said before, don't ever let somebody come knocking on your door and start talking about how they've studied Greek and tell you that this really says in the beginning was a word and that this is not talking about the deity of Jesus. Uh, that's a cult. Greek scholars, those who are genuinely interested in knowing what this says, have said emphatically, unambiguously, this is a declaration telling us that the word is God. And so that makes Jesus unique. And yet, being God, he became one of us. Not 50% God and 50% man, or ceasing to be God in order to become a human being. No, he remained fully God and became fully human. Now, if you're wondering about something to ponder today, I would suggest that you can set aside trying to figure out how the Kentucky Wildcats actually pulled it off yesterday. Or that the Buckeyes came from behind. I know I'm going to leave somebody out and make somebody else mad. Those things really don't matter, do they? Now I just made all of you mad. Ponder the fact that God became a human being without ceasing to be God. Fully God, fully man. That'll keep you busy. It has kept scholars busy throughout the ages. But it's true. And that uniquely qualifies Jesus to be the only person who can show perfectly who God really is. So you're not going to find it generally among uh, academics in our universities or even our seminaries. I was up one time speaking and I was making reference to a seminary and I, I committed a Freudian slip. I, I called it a cemetery. And I caught myself and I said, well, there are a lot of those that are turning out dead preachers, so maybe that's a good word. You find the word of life given to us from God in Scripture. And so in order to know God, we need to look for him in his word. Not among those who claim to know things, who are smart in a worldly way, but those who are knowledgeable of the things of God. But remember, no one else is the perfect representation of God beside Jesus Christ. No one. It's a good thing to remind ourselves of this uh, in this new year. And seeing that in his word, knowing that he is the word become flesh, the word incarnate, God becoming man, he dwelt among us. He literally tabernacled among us, pitched his tent, lived here a while. That's a good 
paraphrase for which nobody would take credit except me, but that's what happened. He came and temporarily dwelt among us, lived among people so that they could see him and hear him. John is, uh, is hung up on this idea, you know, because he was one of those people who saw and heard. In his first epistle, over toward the end of the New Testament, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. I think I told you before, when I was in the eighth grade, I had to go to court. I had witnessed... Uh, a couple of fellas who showed up at my grandmother's little store in the parking lot. They were in a car. My cousin and I were leaving. They were pulling in. I looked at the car. I looked at them. As we were pulling out, I saw the back of the car, and we left. They went in. One of them distracted my grandmother while the other one cleaned out her cash register. Well, my mama's first cousin was the sheriff, so when the investigation began, pretty soon it turned up that I'd seen him. My cousin was driving the car, and I was on the passenger side, so I was in a unique place to see these individuals, and I was the witness who was able to tie them to the scene. The good part about it was being in the eighth grade meant that I got to get out of school. But after sitting in a courtroom for several hours watching the wheels of justice grind slowly, I wish I was back in the eighth grade. Everybody ought to have to go through that once. And I remember my cousin telling me I identified the individual who was an adult. The other one was a minor. Identified him in a lineup. And my cousin, the sheriff, Jack Harrington, kept telling me again and again. He said, son, just say what you saw. Just tell them what you know. Don't try to make up something you didn't see. Just tell them what you saw. And I remember when I was sitting on the witness stand... And I was getting cross-examined. The, the man's attorney was trying to get me tangled up, and I remembered what he said. And I just kept saying, yes, sir, no, sir. And I told him what I saw. John was a witness, along with others, to the person of Jesus. And he's crying out from the Scriptures to say, we're just telling you what we saw, what we heard. We didn't make this stuff up. These men who were cowering in place when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. Amazingly, days later, weeks later, are courageously proclaiming the gospel of Christ at the risk of body and limb. What kind of transformation occurred? A transformation occurred because they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected and living Lord Jesus. They saw him who had been crucified dead and buried risen and glorified and speaking among them. And so we faithfully are proclaiming what these men were eyewitnesses to. When we see and believe in Jesus as he really is, we are never the same again. Now let's be honest, there were those others who saw Jesus and they were not transformed by him. We know that even in the apostolic band, of course, there was Judas Iscariot. He saw what the other apostles saw. He heard with his own ears as well. And yet, he was a crook. He was a thief who was dipping his hand into the till. And who didn't miss out on the opportunity to betray the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Sadly, his life was not transformed. Neither were the lives of the Pharisees or the religious leaders who should have known better. And there were many another who saw Jesus and yet did not believe. But those who saw him and actually believed in him were transformed. John among them. How is it that all of us here today are a part of this global wide movement made up of millions of people? And how did it get started? It wasn't by brilliant entrepreneurs. These were common ordinary people. Fishermen. Now, I don't disparage fishermen. I've, I've said before, I've read all through the Bible. And hadn't read anything in there about playing golf, but it does say a lot about fishing. 
But now Bob Reeder might come back and say, no, the Apostle Paul says, I have finished my course. I'm not disparaging fishing or golf for that matter. What I'm saying is that this whole movement got started by the most unlikely of individuals that any of us could have come up with. Who in their right mind would have trusted the greatest news that the world has ever known to these common, ordinary people? I mean, look at Peter. The one, as somebody said, who goes hopping through the New Testament on one foot because he's got the other one in his mouth. James and John, who were trying to argue for the place of prominence in the kingdom of God, and, or not themselves, they got their mother to do it. Thomas, who doubted, famously doubted, and on and on. They're just ordinary people. And yet their lives were so transformed by the person and proclamation of Jesus Christ that we are continuing to see the impact of that today. Jesus' apostles proclaimed and recorded what they actually saw and heard. That's that's the truth of it. But when we consider who Jesus is, and when we read where John says we saw his glory or we beheld his glory, let's understand exactly what he was saying. Glory means the ultimate visible manifestation of God's presence and goodness. Glory as it was on display at other times, whether it's Abraham who when God established a covenant with him, appeared as a a smoking pot and as a flame of fire. Or more to the point, when Moses on Mount Sinai, having been given the Ten Commandments written in stone, God manifested himself there as a burning fire, as trumpets blasted, as the ground shook, The children of Israel led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God's glory made visible. Or the high priest once a year going into the Holy of Holies, seeing there the Shekinah glory of the Lord at the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. God's glory visibly manifest. Jesus is all of that. As the only begotten from the Father, his glory exceeds the glory of all others. Because those experiences were passing. The Israelites eventually moved on from Mount Sinai. There came a time when they arrived in the promised land. The pillar of fire and cloud no longer led them. And there even sadly came the time when Ezekiel describes when that Shekinah glory departed from the temple. That glory passed away. But God's glory, once manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, remains You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Nevertheless, the glory of God remains because the Spirit of God indwells all of those who believe. So that by power of the Holy Spirit, we too are able to behold the one true and living God in the person of Jesus Christ. And where am I going with all of this? All I'm saying is that in this new year and every year of our lives, we need a fresh vision of who Jesus really is. Because Jesus himself is our, in, uh, rather our uninterrupted supply of grace and truth. I had to throw in uninterrupted supply because we're all having to deal with not being able to find stuff at the store, you know. I didn't mind it when things like caviar got to be hard to find. I, <clears throat> I never developed a taste for stuff like that. But, you know, other things, it, it bothers me. You know, now people are going to start eating chicken thighs. That bothers me because that's my favorite, you know. (laughs) I want other people to eat that dry white meat. But now they're going to be going after my dark meat chicken and it's going to get to be scarce. And so now I'm irritated. It's like coronavirus, you know. It It was an annoyance until I got it and then I got angry. You know, I got exposed to it, and I wasn't able to hold my grandson anymore. And I had to look at my wife holding little Ethan through a glass door. That was as close as I could get. Up until then, it had just been an inconvenience. But now, I'm mad because it's affected me personally. And that's the way we generally are. We're facing a time in which things that have been in 
abundance are now scarce. But remind yourself that the Lord Jesus is our continual, inexhaustible supply of grace and truth. You're never going to find him sealed up in a shipping container off the coast of California. There is nothing on earth that can contain him. And when we link our lives to him and we are trusting in him, that grace and truth, the truth that is his word, the grace that is ours by way of his cross and atoning death on on that cross, are ours without limit. God's steadfast love and faithfulness. That's another way of translating grace and truth. God's steadfast love. You ever, were you ever in school, guys, and passed those little notes? Maybe that was just my generation. Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. How many people have gotten a flower with the petals, maybe a daisy? She loves me, she loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You know, that's pretty relevant throughout the course of life, isn't it? Somebody can like you one day and not the next. When you are there and you are fulfilling somebody's expectations, man, there's nobody like you. But when they move on to other things, you're out. We've all experienced that. And if you haven't, hold on because you're going to. But God's love is steadfast. He is never up there saying, you know, I'm not quite sure why I loved that one yesterday. Now that I've slept on it, the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps is the one who never changes. And the one who has loved you from before the foundation of the world is not suddenly going to change his mind one Tuesday morning. His love is steadfast. He loves you just as much now as he will love you in eternity because you are his child in Jesus Christ. Jesus' glory, being that glory which was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, is a glory which we shall one day see and one of which we shall never grow weary. You know, you can get used to things on earth. Now, there are some things I'm not sure we could really get used to and ignore, like one of these beautiful sunsets out here on our beach in an evening. Every time I see it, you know, I've seen them now a bunch of times. They're still so beautiful and glorious. God's glory, the glory of the Lord Jesus, will be so much more than that. In Exodus 35, verses 5 to 9, we read where it says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, that is Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, a merciful and gracious It was slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are our words right there, grace and truth from John 1. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. The glory of the Lord transformed Moses. When he came down from the mountain, people were terrified when they looked at him because he still glowed from the radiance of that presence of God. They had to put a veil over his face so that they could stand to be around him. But what Moses saw in that glory was the opportunity for the people to be forgiven, for the people to be counted as his own. And he interceded. When we see the glory of Christ as it really is, it will undo us. If we truly find ourselves in the presence of the living Christ manifested by the Holy Spirit without fail, We will be convinced of our own sin and unworthiness. We will realize that in contrast to God's holiness, he would be completely justified in casting me off forever and visiting the consequences of my iniquity on myself and on thousands of generations after me. Or at least the third and fourth generations to keep it 
in the context of Scripture, but God is merciful. And in that glory, people who came to believe in Jesus saw in this good shepherd the one who would remove the guilt and remove the sin. And in exchange for that, grant righteousness. It's the same old story that you've heard proclaimed time and again, but it's the same old story that we need in this new year. And I pray that God would so open our eyes that we would see Jesus in his glory. Not to see him as academics who are trying to cut him down to size. Who refuse to acknowledge his kingship and lordship and who want to simply make a mere man out of him. You won't find the truth coming from there. You will find it in the pages of scripture written by those who were eyewitnesses of who he really is. They didn't manufacture these stories. They faithfully told what they themselves had seen and experienced. And so my prayer for all of us is that in 2022, we may have a greater longing for that glory. Not our own glory. I'm not talking about Olympic athletes who get gold medals or football players who win championship games or baseball players who hit home runs or those who do other things so that they receive adulation and the praise of people. I'm talking about real glory, real substance that is not ours, but God's in the person of Jesus, which he imparts to us because we are his. A glory that will last, that will not be fleeting. That we'll know that. That we'll long for that. And as God's children... We'll live our lives as those in this life who want to proclaim that glory to the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks for our Savior. For we true, too, are a stiff-necked people. And it is known only to you why the earth doesn't open up and swallow us all. So, Father, we too plead for mercy. We pray that in this hour we all may experience your grace, that we may have a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus, not to simply have a, an experience, but that our hearts and lives would be transformed, that we may see the lives of family members changed, that we may see people being changed in the world as we come to worship you. You, great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true and living God, you come yourself to rescue us, and we praise you and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for our concluding hymn, you may or may not need your hymn. No, we're going to sing together Amazing Grace. And uh, I believe that you will find that to be number 202 in your hymnal. We're going to sing those most familiar stanzas, the first and the last. First and last, 202, Amazing Grace. Let's stand together. By the way, 
You're not in an asylum. You're a part of the church of the living God. You are the body of Christ. And as we have come together and worship the Lord this day, I pray that that worship for you will not cease with a benediction, but that you will go forth to proclaim his glory to the nations, beginning right here in Lee County or Collier County or wherever you will be going back to. And to that end, may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.